Um, today we'll be reading from the book of Luke, chapter 5, verse 27 to 32. After this, he went out and saw a tax collector named Levi sitting at the tax booth. And he said to him, follow me. And leaving everything, he rose and followed him. And Levi made him a great feast in his house, and there was a large company of tax collectors and others reclining at table with them. And the Pharisees and their scribes grumbled at his disciples, saying, Why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? And Jesus answered them, Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. This is the word of the Lord. Good evening, church. Um, tonight, we are starting a brand new series, and I'm excited about it, uh, on a brand new pulpit. Uh, I hope if you're new to our church, you're going to um, stick uh, with us for the next seven weeks or so. Uh, leading up to Easter Resurrection Sunday, uh, we are hoping to make Resurrection Sunday a very special one. As we just journey with Jesus, as we remember who, who he is, um, I hope that those who are outside can still, uh, can still hear. As I said, we are starting a brand new series, and this is a Lent series. Now, if you have been in church tradition, Lent is the period, the 40-day period that starts on Wednesday leading up to Easter. Uh, and that period commemorates the fasting of Jesus for 40 days, and it prepares our hearts as we think about Easter. So for the last... 1,800 years or so, the church worldwide has been celebrating Lent, and it is such a, such a key moment in the, in the Christian calendar. So Wednesday is not just Valentine's, it is the start of Lent, and we want to focus on Jesus and all uh, that he is um, to us. Uh, so we start in this series as a Lent series uh, for the next couple of Sunday leading up to Easter. That's what we're going to be focused in on. One of the things that we're going to see as we look at Luke's gospel is that Jesus is about people. Uh, Jesus is about eating with people and welcoming people at his table. Uh, and I hope that you will know by the end of the series that you yourself has a, have a seat at the table. Now, you guys are looking at me funny. Uh, I want you to help me throughout the course of uh, this uh, sermon to preach with me, as Black would say, uh, to say, I have a seat at the table. There's a seat for you at the table. Amen. Um, one commentator says that Jesus... Uh, or rather God in uh, the person of Jesus welcomes the least, the lost, and uh, the left out at the table. And whether you believe this or not, I hope that by the end of it, you will dwell secure in who Jesus says and that you are. With that said, I'm going to pray as we look at our very first um, encounter of Jesus um, at, at, at the table uh, with this tax collector, um, Levi. So please bow your heads as I pray for us. Heavenly Father, we are so thankful uh, for this evening. Uh, we thank you for the songs that we sing uh, that magnify your goodness. Um, and I pray, Lord, that as we start our time, as we lead up to Easter, that you would just be with us, that you'd fill us with joy in knowing who you are, that you'd fill us with this deep sense that we belong at the table. I pray for someone who is exploring the Christian faith, uh, that they would come to encounter Christ, and uh, that through that their lives would be transformed. 
I pray for those who have been Christian for many moons, that they will see and taste your goodness at the table. I pray, Lord, that you would lead our lives uh, to be people who function from a place of belonging and not uh, from a place of lack. Uh, So please be with us, we pray, in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Amen. Um, As I was walking up, I was um, walking... Privilege, uh, uh, during the week, Privilege is one of the guys who come here to the evening service. I walked him down Ninth Road, and as I walk back, there's this gray banner uh, that um, is written this way. It says, imagine someone knowing everything about you and still loving you. We long for that, don't we? We all long for that deep um, knowledge that somebody would know us deeply, yet still love us uh, forever. Yet still love us truly and deeply. Uh, This uh, is ingrained in all of us. Think of human relationship, uh, romantic relationships. Uh, I'm sure many of us would love for somebody to know us deeply uh, and to love us deeply. It is the reason why sometimes when relationships come to an end, it is so hurtful, isn't it? Because we want to be loved, we want to be known, and we want people uh, to know us in our mess and in our our dark corners, yet still be committed to us. It is a longing that we all have. Tim Keller put it this way, as he reflects on marriage, this is not a sermon about marriage, uh, but he reflects on the relationship that God has with his people and the relationship of marriage. He says that when, over the years, someone has seen you at your worst and knows you with all your strength and flaws, yet commits him or herself wholly It is a perfect and complete experience. He goes on to say that to be loved but not known is comforting but superficial. To be known and not loved is our greatest fear. Don't you fear that? Uh, That somebody knows you and they don't love you as as you would expect them to. But he says to be fully known and truly loved is what we need more than anything. It liberates us from pretense, humbles us out of self-righteousness, and fortifies us for any difficult difficulty life can throw away. So we all want to be fully known and fully loved. In the context of marriage, this is true, but I don't think it's just marriage, isn't it? Uh, that many of us grow up with parents, and the deepest thing that we long from our parents is that they would see us, uh, that they would accept us, that they would give us this sense of security that we belong at the table, I normally use the illustration that uh, to know that you belong is if you can open the fridge uh, at uh, whichever house that you're in, and you know that there's no fear in you. You know that even if your mother said, hey, when, why are you opening the fridge? It's not going to crush you because you belong. And we all long for that. And sometimes when we have relationships where that is not fulfilled, uh, we are left uh, shattered and broken. We all long for this deep acceptance. It's not just marriage. It's not just our friendships, um, or sorry, our parent um, relationships, but it's also our friendships, isn't it? Um, that you want friends who are going to have your back. Uh, you want friends who are going to know you at your worst, but still commit themselves uh, to you. Uh, it is this deep thing that we have. We want to belong. As I was thinking about Tim Keller's wedding, I think it's very feminine, um, and I say that with, um, please forgive me, when I was hearing um, these words, 
we all long for someone to love us. I think as a guy, I normally don't wake up thinking, sure, I wish my wife knows me deeply and loves me. Although that's what I long for, but I would phrase it uh, differently. I would say I want a seat at the table. Uh, I think this uh, deep sense of being fully known and truly loved, we see that in our desire for belonging as gents, that we want to belong. We want to be part of the table. Um, In fact, that is, I think, a South African thing. We want to have a seat at the table. Whether whether it's corporate SA, uh, we want to know that we are in with those who are in, right? There's no separation between uh, first-class and second-class citizens. Uh, Particularly for me, I want uh, that to be true. Uh, We all want to belong. Let the little children come to me. Amen. But here's the thing. I think because we stay in South Africa, I was watching that sign, and I was, I'm thinking about what we're saying now. We stay in South Africa, and no relationship begins with uh, somebody saying, I'm going to deeply know you and love you, isn't it? Um, there is this question that we all have. When you enter in any relationship is, what do you help me out here? What do you bring to the table? We all want to know what the other party brings to this relationship, whether it is a relationship of business, you are there at a work function, you want to talk to the people that you know can offer you something and can progress you uh, along in your career. You want to know what the other party brings to the table. A picture I seen on a Wednesday night um, of a couple. Uh, they are meeting, uh, they met on, online, and they are having their very first date, uh, and they just want to suss out, what do you bring to the table, right? So the guy uh, probably is working, uh, he has a car, and all of those nice things that they ask for at our perfect wedding, uh, but he wants to know what the other party brings to the table. We all one that, whether it's a corporate girl, um, lady looking for promotion, sometimes there's this deep, um, this underlying thing that she must do something. She must bring something to the table. Uh, or whether it's that tenderpreneur who wants that deal with the government, um, he, he has to bring something. Well, you can't bring it on the table. It has to be under the table. But you all have to bring something to the table, right? We all live in a world uh, that, uh, where you have to offer something for you to be fully accepted, loved, and embraced, uh, to have this deep sense of belonging. And very often when we think about the Christian faith, this is the mindset that we have, that we think we can serve God uh, and bring stuff to him so that he blesses us. Uh, it is a give and take relationship It is a relationship of me bringing myself to the table, uh, particularly my clean self, uh, to the table uh, for me to think that I belong at the table. Uh, What the Bible is going to teach us this evening, what Jesus is going to teach us, is that he brings people to the table who have nothing to bring. Uh, He brings those uh, who are tax collectors and sinners uh, to the table. If you still, still have your Bibles, please turn to Luke chapter 7, verse 37, and you, you'll hear this, um, this label that these uh, Pharisees, which were the religious people, those who thought they had something to offer God, those who thought that they could bring something to the table, uh, they thought to themselves as they looked at the life of Jesus, uh, this Jesus that we are thinking about 
uh, during Lent, uh, chapter 7 of Luke's Gospel, verse, verse 34, rather, not 37. They accuse him of hanging out with tax collectors and sinners. He says, and we're going to hear later what, what um, a tax collector uh, and a sinner, what, what they were referring to. Uh, he says to them, the Son of Man has come eating and drinking, and you say, look at him, a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. Uh, this is the accusation that the people laid on Jesus, that this is a man who hangs around with the wrong kind of people. He hangs around with people who society did not deem as those who had something to offer at the table. And so they wondering to themselves, why is he hanging out with them? Why is he eating with tax collectors and sinners? And in theological terms, they call this a motif. In other words, something of a thread that runs across a book of the Bible. Uh, so one, one of the motifs, one of the threads that you see throughout Luke's gospel is Jesus hanging out with tax collectors and sinners. Uh, you're going to see next week as he, he lets a birdie, what we would call a birdie, wash his feet. And as they look at him, they're like, how can Jesus welcome this birdie at the table? Uh, but Jesus welcomes those kind of people at the table. And if he can welcome those people at the table, how much more us uh, at the table? Uh, this, tax collect- this friend of tax collectors and sinners. One commentator says that Luke also emphasizes that salvation is for all people, even for the people who are considered to be outcast or socially marginal. Thus, Jesus proclaims his saving message to tax collectors, sinners, poor women in the society who are regarded as people who had nothing to bring to the table. And Luke does so to challenge our stereotypes of living in a world where we all have to bring something uh, to the table. And he reminds us that in the kingdom of God, uh, you can have a seat at the table. Somebody say a seat at the table. So let's have a look at um, the very first person who has a seat at Jesus' table. Have a look at chapter 5, verse 27, the passage that Lelo read for us. This is the story of a man a text collector, a tenderpreneur, and we're going to see as we enter into this story, uh, let's call him Tintualo for our sake this evening. Uh, Tintualo is somebody who benefited from uh, the, 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 the government uh, and who benefited from all that the government had to offer. Uh, his life had turned out well. He was a rich man, uh, and everything about him was good uh, economically, uh, but he was someone who was deemed and outside. Have a look at verse 27. After this, after what? Uh, after Jesus has called his first disciples, after he has been tempted for 40 days and 40 nights in the, the, the desert, after he has explained that his mission is to come and rescue those who are lost, uh, after he has proclaimed that the Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach the good news to the poor, he has sent me to proclaim freedom to those who are in prison. That is the message of Jesus. He's come to rescue those who are in the bondage of sin. After all of that, uh, he goes out and he meets Tintualo sitting at the tax booth. And he said to him, follow me. And leaving everything, he rose and followed him. He rose 
and followed him. Now, what we need to understand is the context of Jesus, uh, that to be, there's some, so many things that we miss here, uh, but the biggest thing is that word tax collector. Uh, tax collector in the ancient world was not somebody who would think uh, Jesus, a reputable man like Jesus, would hang out with. Uh, in the ancient world, the Romans invaded, invaded the, 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 the Jews, and for you to rule over a people from a distance, back then was that you deployed an army, an army that would remind people that Rome is in charge, but also one of the things that you do is you would uh, impose tax on the people. Tax on, imagine being taken over by a foreign government, and then now you have to pay tax to them. But what made matters worse is that the Romans thought to themselves, let us do something clever. Let us appoint the local Jews to be the ones who collect on behalf of us. Uh, so in the apartheid government, these were known as the impimpis, uh, those who worked for the opposition. Uh, to be an impimpi means you grew up with the people, perhaps in Soweto, I don't know where he grew up in, where he grew up, uh, but let's picture him in Soweto, growing up, playing soccer with the gents. Um, he lived a good life. He knew that the guys oppressed him, but because the Romans had oppressed his people, but because of desperate situation, uh, he reverted to this tender. He knew that the Romans had issued a tender. He applied and he bought a franchise uh, with the last money that he had. You'd buy a franchise, so you'd have a head office somewhere in Midland. Uh, Tintualo would set it up uh, to collect tax on behalf of SARS. Okay? But what they used to do is that they collected more than what they needed. Uh, to enrich themselves, tax collectors not only were traitors, but were people of ignoble character. They were people who were against uh, the purposes of God. So to think of a tax collector would, would be to think of somebody you don't even invite to your kid's uh, fourth um, birthday. Uh, imagine growing up with that kind of guy. Imagine uh, thinking, man, uh, this guy, Tintual, <laughs> we grew up with this guy. How can he do this? And here we find him, if I was Jesus, I wouldn't call this kind of guy to be part of my 12. I wouldn't call him to be part of the squad. But have a look at verse 27. Jesus sees him, uh, this guy, Tintualo, sitting at the text booth, uh, collecting text in his uh, rebellion, in his, um, in his um, uh, uh, rebellion against the people of God. And he said to him, follow him, follow me. And leaving everything, he rose and followed him. Uh, so the very next set of disciples that Jesus calls is somebody who's a corrupt uh, government official. Have a look at verse 29. If you think about it in modern days, I don't think you and I uh, would grow kindly to that. Verse 29, and Levi, this is where we find the feast at the table, and Levi made him a great feast in his house, and there was a large company of tax collectors and others reclining at the table with them. Now imagine uh, Jesus if it wasn't worse enough that he calls a tax collector, this guy goes on to invite a group of his friends. Uh, so this is a, a, a meeting of corrupt politicians. They gather up at Levi's house, uh, the same house that he probably bought with corrupt money. They throw a feast, and those guys would party. Uh, and what uh, the commentators tell us is that this kind of feast, they're reclining, so it's not like a table that you and I know. 
it is uh, a table here, uh, and they would recline uh, on, on the floor on cushions, just enjoying life. Uh, you know that, um, that TikTok guy who says, me, I'm not here, he's a politician. <laughs> he says, I'm not here to suffer, I'm here to enjoy life. <laughs> He's from East Africa, that's why he said Rife. Um, he's here to enjoy. <laughs> Tinzala was here to enjoy life. Levi was here to enjoy life with the company of other tax collectors, and they're reclining at the table. And so the Pharisees, who deserved the place at the table, were the religious, who were loyal to the promises of God and to the purposes of God. Verse 30, have a look at it. And the Pharisees and their scribes grumbled at his disciples, saying, Why do you eat? And drink with tax collectors and sinners. Why does Jesus fellowship with these guys? Now, you and I don't understand the gravity of this. Uh, you and I live in the world of McDonald's and Nando's. Uh, you and I don't know what it means to have somebody at your table. It was deeper than just enjoying a meal. One commentator says that in the East, even today, to invite a person to a meal was an honor. It was an offer of peace, trust, brotherhood, and forgiveness. In, t- in short, sharing a table meant sharing life. So when Jesus shares a table with corrupt politicians, he's not just sharing a meal. He's sharing his life with them. Meal times were far more than occasions for individuals to consume nourishment. Being welcomed at the table for the purpose of eating food with another person had become a a ceremony richly symbolic of friendship, intimacy, and unity. And when Jesus eats with tax collectors and sinners, he's saying that he wants to deeply know them. He wants intimacy and friendship with them, knowing how corrupt they are. He wasn't oblivious uh, to them. He's inviting them to deep fellowship uh, with himself. People who did not bring anything to the table. And that reminds us as we are coming to celebrate Lent as we lead up to Easter, that the God of the Bible is this kind of God. The God of the Bible is a God who welcomes people who have nothing to bring to the table. Amen. And I hope that that will ring true of you as you think about your own life, as you think about Jesus interacting with these guys, that surely if he can meet Levi at his house, uh, then he can also share a meal with him. Surely if he can share a table with these guys, uh, then he can share a table with me. As we think about people in our society, because very often we approach people thinking and dividing them into categories of those who belong at the table and those who don't belong at the table. Um, Very often we look at people and we think, wow, that one, I think I can invite them to church. I think Jesus can work with them. Uh, They're far from God, but they're not too far. I think they can somehow work their way to the table. So we approach relationships that way. We look at Instagram buddies and we think to ourselves, there is no way Jesus is saving that person. Do you have that kind of person in your mind? As As you think about church, as you think about Jesus, do you have that kind of person where you think to yourself, surely that person does not deserve a seat at the table. I was thinking about uh, my own self, middle class self, because one of the things that Luke was doing was that he was shaking up his society. I was thinking, um, one of the things we used to do at the evening service was serve meals. Now, there's an informal settlement 
if you were to walk out of this, this gate, just not so far from here. And one of the thoughts is, what if we started sharing meals and those guys came in? What would our reaction be at the evening service? Would we fellowship with them and say, surely God is bringing this ones as well at the table? Uh, because the reality is that they don't smell all that good. They don't fit in into our society as middle class people. I struggle with my own self to think that those people deserve a seat at the table. Uh, Jesus embraces everybody at the table. Somebody say a seat at the table. Everybody has a seat at the table. He welcomes the self, low self-esteem boy with daddy issues, the single mother who's tired of waiting for God for a husband. He welcomes those who have fallen and those who are continually falling, those who are addicted to alcohol, those who are addicted to some form of substances. Everybody has a place at the table. And very often it is hard for us to believe when we are fallen into sin or when we look at others who have fallen into sin to think that they deserve a seat at the table. We have a separation. Uh, we believe that God can know you deeply and love you. But we just don't apply it to our own lives and we just don't extend that same grace uh, to others. Uh, think about the people that you don't really like. <laughs> Do you think those people have a seat at the table? Uh, Jesus reminds us that uh, there is a seat for everybody at the table and Luke spends his entire narrative explaining that to us. Luke spent his time encouraging people, particularly Jews, who thought to themselves that they were the people of God, to remind them that God is including even Gentiles. Uh, throughout Luke and Acts, we see God embracing everybody at the table. Uh, Green puts it this way. Green is uh, this commentator that I've been reading. He says that salvation in Luke's gospel is not otherworldly, so it's not just about, it is about dying and going to heaven, but it's not just about that. It is also not just about the future, that one day we'll be with God in the street by and by. That is true, uh, but we live life in the here and now, and God is bringing his kingdom in the here and now, and in salvation changes us in the here and now. So this guy says salvation is not neither other world, you know, merely future, but it embraces life in the presence, restoring the integrity of human life. That is what salvation is, uh, that we need our integrity as humans to be restored, to understand that the God of the Bible accepts us at a table. I think many of us grow up not believing that. We grow up not believing that we belong at the table. God is reminding us that we belong at the table. He wants to restore the integrity of our lives, that when we look at ourselves, we see ourselves as sons and daughters. Uh, restoring the integrity of human life, revitalizing human communities, that is what Jesus does. When more people embrace, see, and taste the goodness of God, uh, they will transform society. Setting the cosmos in order, and commissioning the community of God's people to put the grace of God into practice among themselves and towards an ever-widening circle of others. What is Green saying? That's a complex um, um, quote. He says, God wants you at the table. God wants you as you are at the table. Uh, God wants you to be secure at the table. God wants you today at the table. God wants you to share the table with others. Uh, God wants you to change as you are at the table. 
Uh, God wants you to invite others to change at the table. God wants you to know that you are fully known at the table and you are fully loved at the table. Amen. Verse 31, Jesus continues um, as these people are shocked at the kind of people that he welcomes. He says this in verse 31, Jesus answered them, and listen to this teaching that Jesus says, this truth of the gospel. He says that those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. God has not come to call those who deserve a seat at the table to the table. He's come to call people like you and me, sinners who are broken to the table so that we can find true belonging and acceptance at the table. That is what Luke's gospel would want to drill in our heads week in, week out. And Jesus uses this analogy uh, to describe people who don't deserve a seat at the table. Notice the analogy that he uses to describe our sin. Sin, for those who are new to church, is the rejection of God in this world. A sin is the very thing that makes us not deserve a seat at the table. I keep pointing there. Uh, if I point there, I'm pointing to that graphic. Uh, a seat at the, ta- at the table. A sin is the very thing that separates us from God. Last year, I think we uh, did a series titled The Anatomy of Sin, where we looked at different ways that the Bible describes sin. Uh, we saw that the Bible sometimes describes sin as slavery, sometimes as blindness, sometimes as leprosy. There are so many ways that sin is described in the Bible. But somebody talked to me, what is the metaphor that Jesus uses here to describe sin? Sin is what? Somebody? Sin, the opposite of sin is being right. Righteousness is being in good standing with God. Unrighteousness, okay, that's the, the, the equivalent of the metaphor. What is the metaphor that he uses to describe unrighteousness? Those who are sick. It's sickness. A sickness. <laughs> um, sickness, he uses this idea of sickness uh, to describe our condition. Uh, now he says of all of us that we are all sick. We all don't deserve to be at the table. Uh, now to say that in our world seems to be an offense, uh, but if somebody had COVID and you said to them you have COVID, that, that is not offensive, is it? You just state in their condition. And sin, in as much as sin is something that we do, sin is also a condition that you and I have. And Jesus says that sin is a condition that we all have. Instead of being righteous, instead of being right standing with God and deserving a seat at the table, you and I are sick and we are unrighteous. We don't deserve a seat at the table. Uh, One guy says that we are born, the doctrine of sin teaches that we are born into an environment where it is easy to do evil and hard to do good. It is easy to hurt others and hard to heal their wounds. It is easy to arise men's suspicion and hard to win their trust. Uh, That is the sickness of sin and that sickness lives with all of us. It is like COVID. We all have it. We all share it, and it, 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 it afflicts us in more ways uh, than not. It afflicts us in more ways, and we are incapable of 
ridding ourselves uh, from this sin. But the gospel is this, uh, that God comes to deal with our sin. The great physician did not come for people who are well. He came for sinners. He came for people who are unwell. And that is you and I. He came to call us uh, to his table. Tim Keller continues to say that the gospel is that we are more flawed and sinful than we can ever admit, yet at the same time that we are more loved and accepted than we ever dared hope. That is the gospel, that Jesus fully knows us and fully loves us and fully welcomes us at the table. That is good news, isn't it? That you don't have to bring anything to the table. Now with the last eight minutes or so that we have, let's lend this and finally think about the world that we live in. Now I think to say that you are accepted at the table is such a heartwarming message. And I think a message that's so easy to say in our culture. But one of the things that I've come to realize is that we love the idea of being accepted at the table. We love the idea of being accepted by people. We love the idea of having friends who have our back, no matter what. But one of the things we don't like is being told when we are wrong. We love companionship without the, the accountability that comes with it. So it's one thing to say we are welcomed at the table. But one of the things that Luke is going to do is that he's going to show us that for us to be at the table, we don't bring anything. But you cannot sit at the table and remain the same. You cannot taste the goodness of God and remain the same. You see that in Luke chapter 19 as one of the tax collectors tastes the goodness of God and his life is turned upside down. We cannot say we've tasted the goodness of God and look at our own lives the same way and look at other people and still judge them and think that they will never change. We cannot say we've, um, we have sat with God at the table and yet still treat people the same. So one of the things that we're going to see as we journey through Luke's gospel is we're going to see the God who makes us taste his goodness at the table and who causes us to be transformed by that goodness and to go out into the world and to bring about goodness in this world. Um, amen. Let me pray that God will help us as we do that, as we reflect upon this, his word. Father, we are so thankful that there is a seat for us at the table. We are so thankful that you did not regard the norms of society, but you welcomed people from all walks of life at your table. You welcomed those who knew that their sins were wrong, who knew that their wealth was ill-gotten wealth, who knew that they did not deserve the goodness of God, but yet you made them taste that goodness. And we thank you for Levi, uh, the man that you transformed so many years ago. Uh, We thank you that you worked in his life, um, that you made him an instrument to share your goodness with the world. And today we stand to benefit from that. Uh, But I pray, dear Lord, um, that as we journey through Luke's gospel, Uh, you would transform us, uh, that you would give us this deep confidence uh, that you 
O Lord, you love us, you welcome us, and you accept us. I pray that when we are deeply secure in that, uh, when we are deeply secure in who we are as your children, uh, that you would show us the deep, dark corners of our lives, and that you transform us there. Lord, that we would live such lives that when people look at us, they would see the goodness of the God of Israel, and they would be transformed. Lord, I pray for South Africa, a place where we are often grappling for a place at the table, where we hustle for it through status, through religion. I pray that your gospel would change our hearts and that we would be different people, that as we step into our office space, people will know that we have tasted indeed the goodness of God and that they would want that, that which we have tasted. In Jesus' name we ask. Amen.